Wow! Look at all these people. I haven't seen this many people in a church in a long time. This is great. You know, it's funny, the places I go and the places I speak at, I always learn something everywhere I go. And today I learned already that Pastor Tom is an Ohio State fan. (sighs) Really? Yeah, I know, really. But, you know, I I guess I look at it this way, that there has to be something good come out of that God-forsaken place. (laughs) I don't know. I just, Tom is it. He's the good thing, so... You know, this, this is the pulpit. I spoke earlier this morning. This is the pulpit of Tom Townsend, a great godly man. A good, he has become a good friend of mine. This is the pulpit of Pastor Spencer, a godlier man never existed, except for my friend Bob Zool. <laughs> you know, in a way, I feel, just standing here, I, I feel like uh, the, the mule that the, that the farmer entered in the Kentucky Derby. When, when the people asked the farmer, they said, why did you enter your mule in the Kentucky Derby? He said, well, you know, I thought the association would do him some good. So, I think the association does me some good here. So, our big thought today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. It's about Jesus healing the deaf-mute. It's an old story. I'm sure you've heard it many times, but our big thought actually comes from Romans. Romans 10.17. Romans 10.17 says, this is the ESV version, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes through the word of Christ. See, our lives are kind of dictated by our faith, aren't they? Whatever it is that we believe in, that kind of dictates the patterns to our life. And our faith is pretty much dictated by who or what we listen to. One thing we can be sure of, take this to the bank, God is always speaking. He's always speaking. It's a marvelous thing that we have. You know, one day, one day a Native American was walking with a friend down through the busy streets of Chicago. They had their wives, and they were shopping down the, what they call it, the Michigan Mile. And they came to a crowded intersection. The Native American stopped, and he said said to his friend, he said, hey, he said, did you hear that? His friend said, hear what? He said, that cricket, did you hear that? (laughs) His friend just looked at him incredulous. He said, no way. He said, you mean to tell me that in all this traffic, with all this noise, all these people around, you heard a cricket? Are you kidding me? Native American just shrugged and just kept on walking. They walked a little further till they came to a busy, another busy intersection. And they stopped and they paused. And the Native American reached into his pocket. And he pulled out a, a small handful of quarters. And he tossed them into the air. And as they pinged off the sidewalk, a dozen people scrambled as they heard the noise, looking to pick up the quarters. Native American just looked at his friend, and he said, one hears what one listens for. You know, one of the most basic theologies in all of Scripture is that God has revealed himself. Isn't that marvelous? We have that 
that component in our faith. God has revealed himself. He speaks to us. This has always been true. Just always. You know, in John 1, 1, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the beginning of time, Scripture points out that God is always speaking. He's always speaking. In fact, the Bible opens up in the creation story. He tells us that, that God said... Let there be light, and there was light. Then God said, let there be a vault to separate the waters, and, and the waters were separated. Then God said, let the land produce living creatures, and living creatures were produced. You know, this is really what's remarkable, remarkable about this, is that none of this stuff exists, and God just speaks it, and it just comes into, comes into being. I love uh, Romans 4.17 in the Amplified Bible, it says that uh, God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. It's an amazing concept because this is what separates us from all the other religions in the world. Our God speaks to us. In all the other religions, it's the people who are talking. They pray to their gods and they never hear anything in return. They don't get this sense of direction. They don't get these loving words, these words of comfort that give peace to the heart. But our Creator, our God, our God of heaven and earth does. He speaks. And when He does, something is created that never existed before. For example, I've seen marriages healed when two hostile partners decide to incorporate God's Word into their heart. I've seen what happens to other unhealthy relationships when God's Word becomes a vibrant part of their lives. I see this all the time in my work as an addictions counselor. I see, I see this all the time. I've seen, I've seen raging, raging alcoholics abandon their addiction and move on to a sober life when God's Word gets incorporated into their DNA. I've seen heroin addicts get clean and stay clean when they allow God to speak to them through his word. See, God is always speaking. I love Hebrews 4.12 here. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You guys know this. We serve a God who is talking all the time. But church, here, here's the big question of the day. This is the big question. Are you listening? Are you listening? So at some point, we need to be listening. At this point, I need to talk to you about my Uncle Ned. My Uncle Ned was quite a guy. He was, he was a character. <laughs> oh, My Uncle Ned walked with a permanent limp. He told us that he picked up some shrapnel in the war. I found out after he died what really happened happened in 1968. See, my Aunt Sally loved working outdoors. She loved tending the garden and landscaping and, and especially mowing the lawn. There's just something about the rhythm of that she enjoyed. You guys identify with that? You gals who like to mow the lawn? I do. I can identify with that. <clears throat> well, one day the mower wouldn't run, so she asked Uncle Ned to fix it. Uncle Ned was one of those handyman kind of guys, you know, could fix anything. If it moved, he could fix it. But unfortunately, Uncle Ned had a bad habit of not listening to his wife. 
He had very selective hearing if it was something that he didn't really feel like doing. Well, Aunt Sally reminded him about the moor several times, but it seems like Uncle Ned just didn't pay attention. Finally, Aunt Sally thought of a clever way, she thought a clever way she was going to get the moor fixed. Well, the next day, when Uncle Ned got home from work, he pulled up in the driveway to find my Aunt Sally sitting cross-legged in the middle of the yard with a pair of scissors snipping away at the grass. <clears throat> Uncle Ned just sat there and he watched her for a while. It's a curious look on his face. And then he went to the house and he came out a minute later and he handed my Aunt Sally a toothbrush and he said, when you finish cutting the grass, you might as well sweep the driveway. At first, the doctor said he'd never walk again. <laughs> it pays to listen to your wife. <clears throat> Mark, here we are at our verses. This is all backstory. We're here at Mark. Mark 7, starting with verse 31. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so that he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Praise the Lord. Now in Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7 just in general is a chapter about listening. See, it's... it's uh, Jesus begins talking with the Pharisees. You'll see him dialoguing early in the chapter, at the beginning of the chapter, with the Pharisees and, and just getting into this disagreement because they, they heard him, but they didn't really hear him. Kind of like Uncle Ned. They heard what he had to say, but they just weren't processing it. And it's clear, it's clear Jesus is just fed up with their attitude, of their religiosity. So he calls them out in front of the crowd. He says to the crowd in Mark 7, uh, 14 and 15, he turns to the crowd and he says, listen to me, all of you, listen to me, he says. And understand, there is nothing outside of a person that going in can defile. They were having this argument about these little what to eat and you know, how to wash your hands and all this stuff, just little tidbitty things. Jesus said, nothing that goes into a person can defile. It's what comes out of a man that defiles. It's your actions. Now this detachment from listening happens to church all the time. You know, when you've been in church for a long time, you've heard just umpteen thousand messages. Uh, praise God you have Pastor Tom, he keeps things interesting. But, you know, after a couple thousand sermons, it's just easy not to hear what's being said. Kind of reminds me of the story of President Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, FDR. <clears throat> I remember hearing this story about FDR. It seems that President Roosevelt was frustrated because no, he felt like 
after four terms, nobody was listening to him anymore. I guess maybe after four terms, maybe they had pretty much heard it all. So FDR has this brainstorm. He has this brainstorm about he's going to test the people around him to test whether or not they're really listening to him or not. So, So that night at a big reception they had at the White House, President Roosevelt, as he greeted people, he would just... He would greet them in line. He would say casually, he, he'd say, uh, uh, you know, good evening, thank you for being here. Uh, I murdered my grandmother this morning. Big smile on his face. I murdered my grandmother this morning, he'd say. <clears throat> People would just automatically respond with comments like, oh, how lovely. <laughs> or, uh, oh, Mr. President, just continue on with your great work. <laughs> See, they heard him. They, they weren't really listening. They were just responding out of habit. Except for, at the very end of the line, one foreign diplomat. This foreign diplomat came up, shook President's hand. President said, uh, good evening, it's nice to have you here. By the way, I murdered my grandmother this morning. The diplomat kind of, he took him by the elbow and he, and he led him away from the crowd. And he said, well, Mr. President, I'm sure she had it coming. I don't explain these things, they just happen. You know, I just <clears throat> After his confrontation with the Pharisees, Jesus then had a rather hard discussion with his disciples. This moves all the way through chapter 7. And it seems that you know, his disciples don't get it either. They hear Jesus, but they're not getting it either. You know, they just weren't processing what he was saying. And at that moment, Jesus is pretty frustrated with them because they appear to be about as deaf as the Pharisees. Actually, in some ways, the disciples reminded me of a little boy in church who, uh, after a long, tedious sermon, the little boy asked his father, he said, what does the pastor do all week? His father responded, he said, oh, he's very busy, he says. He takes care of church business, and he, he visits hospitals and teaches Bible studies, and you know, he does all kinds of stuff in the community. You know, the pastor, is a, he's a teacher, a businessman, a writer, an administrator, a fundraiser, a funeral director, and a counselor. The pastor has to be all of these things, and not only that, but he has to pour himself into his message probably a good uh, 20 hours a week or so. We used to have a, a, a theory at, at First West that a message required an hour of study for every minute you speak. Study and preparation. So his dad finished his discourse. The little boy said, meeting the needs of a congregation our size is often a thankless, time-consuming job. The little boy thought about it for a minute, and he said, well, he said, listening to him ain't so great either. See, when Mark starts out in verse 31, he, be, he begins by discussing how Jesus moved from one geographic location to another. In other words, Jesus is moving away from the rich and the powerful, the traditional and the accepted, and he's moving towards the underappreciated, the overlooked, and the overwhelmed. At one point in the journey, Jesus runs into a Gentile woman. She asks him to heal her daughter of demon possession. She seems to be the only one who gets it. All these religious people around him. And a Gentile woman is the only one who really gets it. She, she's the only one who hears Jesus' message. 
Like many mothers over the centuries, she, she turns to Jesus in her desperation. It's like C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Every year at the, you know, fourth, around the 4th of July, my neighbors set off all kinds of fireworks. I wish they would just limit it to the 4th of July, but it's like the 3rd and the 5th and the weekend after and so on, and it just, it's like impossible to sleep. They're too loud. And by the time they finally wind down, I'm just desperate for some sleep. And it's during those times, just like that, in life, when life is blowing up all around us, and we're desperate to hear the voice of Jesus, that he shouts to us in our pain. But what about the daily grind? That's why we're here. What about the daily grind of listening to Jesus? See, this is what separates going to church from becoming a disciple. The daily grind. How well do we hear God's direction in just the daily discourse of life? And that brings me back to my original question. How well are you listening? Mark 32, we read, or 7.32, sorry. There were some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. Now, in my work as an addictions counselor, I find that most of the time when a person is really struggling, what they need is they just, they just need a friend. I think the question was asked earlier, what can we do as a church to help? You could do that. You can be a friend to someone who's struggling. People who are struggling really just want someone to listen to them, to listen to their hurts, to feel their pain. Someone to listen and, just, and not, not judge them, not judge them for their faults. See, listening to someone communicates value. Please hear this. Hear this, church. If you don't get anything, if you don't get anything out of the message today, get this. Get this one point. For most of us, being heard is so close to being loved that it's virtually indistinguishable. I'll say that again. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, these two components are virtually indistinguishable. Linda and I have been married for 46 years. I'm still, I'm still learning how to communicate with her. I'm still trying to understand her. I don't always. But that's how it works in any relationship, and that's how it works in our relationship with God. It takes, it takes investment. It takes more than just a cursory nod. It takes patience. But the one thing I will tell you is it gets easier over time. It gets easier. It gets easier. When my wife calls me, she doesn't have to identify herself. She doesn't say, hi, this is Linda. I know her voice. The same is true with God. Mark 7.33 Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Now we take note 
that Jesus led the man away from the crowd so they could be alone. Why did he do that? Some commentators believe that it's because Jesus didn't want to put on a show for everybody. I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. That's probably true. But I don't think that's the main reason. I think the main reason Jesus led the man away is it because Jesus wants to know us on a personal level. He wants to know us personally, privately, who we are. And that's not going to happen unless we spend time with him personally and privately. In private prayer and study. See, it's often, it's when we're kneeling that God is most revealing. Now, after taking the man aside, Jesus stuck his fingers in the man's ears, and then he spit on his fingers, and he touched the man's tongue. Oh, mercy. Not in our society we wouldn't do that. Oh, my. The hospital rule, oh, the hospital would have a fit. But first, what is he doing? First of all, God is communicating in the man's own language. He's communicating in sign language. He sticks his fingers into his ears. He's communicating with him this is what I'm about to do. I'm going to heal your ears. I can just, can you just picture the man just, hmm, okay. All right. He gets it. He understands what Jesus is communicating to him. He's using these nonverbal clues to communicate with the deaf mute that he was, what he was going to do and, and how he was going to heal him. That's just what Jesus does. You know, even today, see, isn't that great? Don't we have a Lord who communicates with us on our level? I don't, I don't have to worry about communicating with Jesus on, a, on Bob Zool's level, Pastor Spencer's level. I don't have to worry about that. Jesus communicates with me on my level, which means he keeps it really simple. Okay? He communicates with all of us, with every individual, in ways that we can each understand. We just have to be listening. Second, now to our modern way of thinking, to spit on your hands and touch someone's tongue, oh boy, that sounds gross. But in the ancient world, spit was actually thought to have healing powers. And you know, when you get down to it, you know, that's really not so far-fetched. I mean, just ask any baseball player today. You know, just, you know, little spit, little dirt, rub it on your boo-boo and, you know, you're ready to go again. You know, so or actually uh, just ask any mother of small children. They seem to think that spit has special grooming powers. For <laughs> Oh, the stuff I used to have to endure as a kid. My mom would, you know, just wipe my face and clean it all up and, you know, groom my hair and just, oh, mom, this is, just, this is gross. But good thing I didn't live 2,000 years ago. Mom thought she did. But what this, what this really underscores, what this really underscores is that Jesus was preparing this man for healing by communicating with him in, in ways that he could understand. Praise God for that. Jesus communicates with us in ways we can understand. He will never leave you hanging. He won't leave you out to, hung up out there to dry. And then, what's he do? Jesus looks up at the heavens and he goes, Father, be opened. 
But what did he do before he gave that command to be open? What did he do? He sighed. <sighs> gave a big, deep sigh. He wasn't exasperated. That's not it. That's not it at all. He didn't sigh like my mom used to sigh at me. <sighs> Roll her eyes today. Somebody take this kid off my hands, would you? It wasn't that kind of a sigh. It was symbolism that he is the creator God, that he breathes life into man. He always has and he always will. Praise God for that. As soon as Jesus did this, as soon as he sighed and said, be open, what happened? <laughs> the man's ears opened up and he could hear. Can you imagine that? Imagine that being deaf all your life. Now, imagine that, that all of a sudden you can hear. How glorious would that be? Now, they say he was mute. Some, some versions say the man had a speech impediment, not that he was mute. I would, I'm guessing that because he was deaf, you know how sometimes deaf people talk, it's kind of hard to understand them because they can't really hear themselves, so they're just saying words that, that, that vibrates in their eardrums, how they think it sounds, but you know, it's just hard to understand. I'm kind of guessing that that's how the man was. But Jesus touches his tongue, and his tongue is loosened, and he can speak plainly again. He speaks plainly. To God be the glory. I think my wife wishes someone would touch my tongue so that I would speak more plainly to her. But, you know, sometimes she doesn't have any problem speaking plainly to me. But uh, somebody, somebody has to be the gentle one in the family. So, <laughs> I, she's not here, so I can say that. <laughs> okay, but church, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Even today, even today, Jesus longs to breathe life into us. Whew. He still longs to heal our broken hearts. He still wants to engage with us on a personal level. Here's the problem. Today's world, we're too busy. It's too much. We get too used to the noise around us. It's time to turn off the TVs and the stereos and it's all the rest of the noise and get and get someplace quiet. That's why we call it a quiet time. That's why in discipleship we talk a lot about having a quiet time because it has to be a quiet time. But we're not really comfortable with silence, are we? We could stop right now and just say, let's just be silent for a while. And I'll bet inside of a minute people are getting real restless because we're just not comfortable with it. But unless we can learn to be quiet, it's going to be hard to hear God speak. I'm not talking about an audible voice. Sometimes it may be, but he speaks to us through his word. It's amazing how many times I get, I get his word in front of me and I'll, I'll read it and I'll pray over it and I'll just be quiet about it and all of a sudden I just sense God speaking through his word. I love Psalm 46. Because it talks about all the chaos of life. It talks about how life is like uh, 
uh, roaring, foaming waters. Can, can you picture white water, a rapids, uh, the, the white water just rushing down and how life can be like that sometimes? And, and uh, it's not just the personal struggle by the psalmist. He writes about apparently the whole world around him is in turmoil. He says, the nations are in an uproar, he says. Oh, anybody identify with that? But it's in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of all this chaos. God speaks and he says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Guess what the chief complaint is among husbands and wives? I do marriage counseling, pre-marriage, premarital counseling, marriage counseling afterwards. I've got a couple right now, both were in their active addiction and they got married and now they're trying to work things out. Chief complaint between husbands and wives. My spouse never listens to me. It's the number one complaint among husbands and wives. The number one complaint in business is by the workers believe they're not listened to by management. Likewise, management believes the workers don't listen and pay attention to their direction. I have parents who complain that their kids never listen to them. Kids that complain that their parents never listen to them. But one question we have to ask when we feel like nobody's listening to us Who's the common denominator here? And how well do you listen to the voice of God? See, in healing the deaf-mute, Jesus used three things. He used silence, spit, and a sigh. Natural things. Nothing manufactured. He used the sigh as a sign that he was God. And only God can breathe life into a situation. He used silence and spit because they were symbols that silence is the soil of the word. Silence is the soil of the word. It's where the word takes root and grows in us. It's where we give it an opportunity to grow. It's why God spoke to Isaiah. God spoke to Isaiah and he said in 55, 55, he said, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. But it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Get God's word into you, church. Get it in there. Get it into your DNA. Let God's word grow in, it, in you Listen to it closely, study it, meditate on it, and you will be shocked at what God reveals to you. And we do this because faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. My friends, friends here at Calvary Baptist, please, please don't allow God's word to fall on deaf ears. We're looking at were people who had cochlear implants, people who've been deaf all their lives, and all of a sudden could hear what, what joy on their faces. Isn't that wonderful? Though I, I really like, I saw a longer version of this, the woman in the black shirt and 
light blue jeans, was sitting in the chair. She heard her son, 11 years old, say, I love you, Mom, for the first time. Can you imagine that? I work with addicts. I work with alcoholics who just need to hear that God loves them. Maybe nobody's ever told them that before. And all of a sudden, when that idea just dawns, when they hear it, the change can be incredible. Church, faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. Never forget that. Silence is the soil of the word. We communicate value to people when we listen to them. Let's be a listening church.